0: The time has come for us to begin another series. I considered preaching some sermons surrounding our theme to take us into anniversary days. And I just kept feeling like the Lord's saying, no, wait and see what Brother Willett has for us first. And I'm going to put that on the back burner for now. I had half a sermon already prepared. And then last night the Lord said, no, I don't want you preaching that. And for you preachers, you know that's such a great feeling when it's Saturday night and you're still not ready for Sunday night and you don't know what to preach for Sunday morning and all you have is Sunday school. and <sighs> So it's, it's a miserable feeling, that's all I'm saying. But it is what it is. I finally got some peace about what to do next. I believe the Lord has laid it on my heart to lead us through a, sto- a study in the book of Genesis, <laughs> at least the first eleven chapters, we may go through it all. who knows somebody's thinking, if it took you five years to go through John and john 's only twenty one chapters, it's going to take you twelve years to go through fifty chapters in Genesis. I did the math <laughs> we got time here. Listen, church, here's the great news. If you grow tired of hearing messages out of Genesis, you can come for Sunday school. I mean, I'm preaching out of Micah in Sunday school. If you don't like that, you can come to Sunday night. We're preaching out of the book of Acts. If you don't like that, you can come Wednesday night. We're going through Philippians. So that's a pretty good mix. We got the Pentateuch, the prophets, the Pauline epistles, amen, and then the uh, book of Acts. So... Amen. Be here for all. That would be good. One thing is for sure all scripture is given by inspiration of God yes. and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So take your Bibles, join me in Genesis chapter 1. If you can't find Genesis, it's in the beginning. It's in the beginning. And if you can't, don't be ashamed, but grow in that, amen? Amen. Genesis chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 and 2. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The title affixed to this book is Genesis. That word means beginning beginning. That's the opening phrase, in the beginning. Which, by the way, happens to be the opening phrase also in the gospel, according to John. Genesis deals with the beginning of most everything fundamental. We'll see the beginning of creation, the beginning of the family, sin, society, culture, agriculture, industry, music, religion, both pure and false. Genesis deals with the beginning of virtually everything. But there's one beginning Genesis never talks about. It never deals with the beginning of God. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it ever try to deal with where God came from because God has always existed. He has no beginning. In fact, God not only has no beginning, He has no end. And so, from the beginning of the book of beginnings, we find he begins his word with controversy. And he says, In the beginning, God. Immediately, the question goes to where did God come from? This is a question which has perplexed many down through the ages. I know at one point in my childhood, I was laying there in bed going, Where in the world did God come from? I think we've all probably asked that question at one point or another. Some people can't fathom the idea of God having no beginning. In their mind, it makes no rational sense intellectually. If we're talking about an almighty God, the creator, do we really want that question to have an explainable answer? The answer would have to be no, because if we are on search for God Almighty, then if God had a beginning, then our God would be responsible to the one who gave Him a beginning. Where would God's authority have come from? Who is so powerful that He could have possessed the ability to create our God? And if God did have a beginning, then the Word of God would contain errors. The Bible says that our God is the only wise God. That there is none else beside Him. There is none as holy as the Lord. Neither is there any God beside Thee. I am the Lord and there is none else. None of those statements could be true if God had been created. But why doesn't God at least try to explain to us the proof of his existence here in the beginning? Well, by giving us this creation account, God is showing us his existence. This is God's autobiography, if you will. And if you were to write a book about yourself, would you spend 11 chapters trying to explain to me that you exist? No. By virtue of you writing, you exist. Look, if you're having a hard time with that, see me afterwards. God makes no attempt to explain to us how He has always existed before verse 1. And He doesn't have to write of the proof of His existence before creation because we have the testimony of creation that proves His existence. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day, unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, all their words, to the end of the world. Amen. Creation speaks of God. Now this statement, in the beginning, God created... It's absolutely foundational to our faith. If you don't get verse 1 right, you're going to have issues through the rest of this Bible. In the beginning, God created. What has been under attack? If we don't have faith in this opening statement in the Bible, then we become guilty of being able to pick and choose what it is we want to believe from God's Word. If we don't believe God in the creation account, then why would we believe that we have been curiously wrought? That we have been fashioned? That God created us through physical birth? Why would we believe that God could make us a new creature in Christ? If we don't even believe the creation account, if He can't create this, then what can He create? We must believe God creates. Isaac Newton believed God created the universe. He was mocked by his colleagues for his belief in the Genesis account. They believed all that was in the universe just happened. So Newton built a model of the solar system. The sun, the planets, the moons were all in their place. Everything was proportional. The planets revolved around the sun Newton's colleagues came over one day and they were admiring the model when one stated, that's intriguing. Who made it? Newton replied, nobody. It just happened. It just showed up in my living room. And the point became clear. If a scale model of the solar system demands a creator, how much more does the reality of the vastness of space and the grandeur of all that we see in heaven and earth, how much more does that demand a creator? To look around at all we see and suggest there's no creator. It's foolishness. The Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Romans 1 tells us that what we see speaks to the fact that there is a Creator. Romans 1, verses 20 20 through 22, "...for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations." Their foolish heart was darkened. Listen, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Paul goes on to say a few verses later that those who deny a creator God, what they have done is they have changed the truth of God into a lie. They've worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Now, why would there be a desire to exchange truth for a lie? Because if someone can convince themselves that there is no good God, then there's no accountability to that God. God doesn't exist, and who are we accountable to? If one evolved from slime, then they can keep living like slime and be justified as they live in their slime. If one evolved from animals, then it's okay to act like an animal. And like a dog, they'll return to their vomit. And like a sow that's washed back to the waller, back to the mire. But if there is a Creator, then we are His creation, created in His image, and we are accountable then to our Creator. People don't like the idea of being held accountable. That's why we rebel by nature. They deny God's existence and they say there are no moral absolutes. And if someone's crazy enough to tell you there's no more absolutes, then look at them and ask them, Are you absolutely sure? <laughs> and then you can see the frustration come over their face. And so God doesn't have to waste time proving His existence because it's obvious. The heavens declare Him. Creation speaks of Him. The order that we find in the universe speaks of God keeping it all together. And it's written upon the conscience of man yeah. that there is a Creator. The invisible things of God are seen by that which we can see with our natural eye and it tells us there's a Creator God. Yeah. And so when someone says, I don't believe it, their foolish heart has become darkened. Yeah. Amen. Right. Amen. That's right. Amen. There is no God. You know what the Bible says? They Became fools. Did you catch that? Became a fool. They forcefully became something they were not. They became a fool. You know, Peter would say this, they are willingly ignorant. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Therefore, evolution at its core is nothing more than an attempt by Satan to get people out from under the idea that there is a creator who we are accountable to and that one day we will answer to. And because people want to eliminate God, they'll grab onto whatever they can that gives them away from there being a God, even if it makes no sense. Nothing makes less sense than the theory of evolution. Amen. It's completely farcical. It can never be proven factual. If I wanted to, I could take months right here and give you all the reasons. I love creation science. I fight that temptation through this particular series. Just one example, the sun is burning up mass at the rate of 4.3 million tons per second. I don't even know how they know that, but whatever. (laughs) If all of this that we see was 4.5 billion years old, then one would have to add 4.3 million tons of mass back into the sun every second over those 400, 4.5 billion years. How much mass is that? I don't know, but it's a lot. Right. Yeah. The number would be so astronomical that the sun would have been so huge, so intense, that everything and anything on the surface of the earth would have been burned up. Well, once creationists begin to point out these things, they come up with different theories. Right. Yeah. There's this young sun paradox theory. Anyway, whatever. Evolution is straight out of the pit of hell. I'm not your enemy this morning. I'm your friend and I'm telling you the truth. Evolution is from hell. It's racist. If you're not of the white race, then you just, are not, you just haven't evolved good. And God help you if you're black. That's what Charles Darwin taught. Evolutionists don't like to talk about that part of it. But no wonder we have the critical race theory today. That's a whole other thing. Once evolution was introduced into our public schools, our foundation as a nation was under attack. And now that it has been welcomed into our schools, into our society, now that it has been believed as fact, the foundation of our society has eroded. You say, is it really because of evolution? Yes. Yes. What good is a declaration of independence which states we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal? That all are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What good is that if God doesn't exist? No wonder they want to do away with the Constitution. If there's no Creator, how are we endowed by our Creator? Evolution is not only destructive to the foundation of having faith in God, but it is also destructive to the foundation of our way of life in America. Now what evolutionists will say is, you Christians believe in the Genesis account by faith. Yep. Guilty. But what you need to do in return is explain to them that what you believe is by faith as well. You believe God just spoke it. Yeah. Keep asking them, where did that come from? Ask, debate any evolutionist. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? And eventually they're going to have to say, I don't know. So you have to believe as an evolution, eventually something came from nothing. That's where you're placing your faith. People need to be honest about which one makes more sense. A random cosmic accident where all of this just happened? Or does it make more sense that there's a God who created it all and now orders and sustains it all by His power? Let's just be honest this morning. It takes far more faith to believe in evolution. It's way easier just to believe in the beginning God created. So what are you placing your faith in? Just have faith in God and His Word. By the way, Jesus believed in the creation account. I mean, of course He did. He was God in the flesh, right? But stay with me. 4,000 years removed from creation, Jesus shows up on the scene and he spoke of it as fact. In Mark 13, 19, For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Matthew 19, 4, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Jesus didn't believe in evolution. How interesting that Jesus spoke of creation as being a fact, and yet there are so-called pastors who are teaching their congregation that the creation account is nothing more than a myth. There's an idiot down in Georgia, and he's telling his people, quote, when religion and science conflict at the end of the day, if you are an honest person, science must win, end quote. He refers to the Genesis account, As a possible myth. He mentions how the account of the events in the Garden of Eden may have been fabricated. And then he says, everything hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, if it all hinges on Jesus, that's great. But does he even consider how Jesus believed in creation as a biblical fact? I mean, you got to be able to piece this together and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, son. Amen, as we'd say down in Georgia. Wait a minute, son. You're sitting here saying that it all hinges on Jesus. You don't believe in the creation account, and yet the Jesus you're saying it all hinges on believed in the Genesis account. Did I mention he's an idiot? (laughs) And all the people who follow this guy, they don't read their Bibles. So they won't ever make an intellectual connection which so easily debunks all that he teaches. Well, anyway, um, look at verse uh, verse 2 here. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, I don't want to get sideways here, but there's a theory out there that there's a gap between verses 1 and 2. It's commonly referred to as the gap theory. This is where some people place the fall of Lucifer, um, the angels which followed him, the dinosaurs... Some people, I know one guy, he, he wrote a book that he gave me and he believed this is where Neanderthals come in. Um, the idea is that God always creates something good, but apparently something catastrophic happened in between these two verses to cause the earth to become without form and void. Like I said, I don't want to get sideways with you, but I wholeheartedly reject this teaching. I think the gap theory is nothing more than an attempt to make the Bible line up with so-called science and an old earth. Sarah, are you a young earther? Yes, I believe the creation account, I believe we're 6,000 years in. One of the major problems I have with this theory being taught is it demands death took place before sin entered the world. But that contradicts the Bible. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sinnered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15.21, For since by man came death. Genesis 1.1 is simply stating what God did to mark the beginning as we understand it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Then what follows from that verse is the process of, Of him creating. This is clearly seen by the word and, which begins verse 2. In fact, the word and begins every verse in chapter 1, with the exception of verse 27, which begins with the word so. And is a conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? (laughs) Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. It still works. Schoolhouse rocks, amen. (laughs) And joins verse 1 and verse 2 together. It does not separate them. It does not say in verse 2, and it came to pass. Or, and in the process of time. But it just says, and. Verse 2 is a continuation of the thought in verse 1. We wouldn't place billions of years in between verses 2 and 3. So why would we do that between verses 1 and 2? Verse 2 pictures for us the earth in the beginning of its creative state. I believe what we're getting here is a play-by-play, if you will. When God created the heaven and the earth, the earth was without form and void, but it wasn't fully done yet. To me, it's like Psalm 139, 14 through 16. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. When we were conceived, we didn't immediately look like we would when we would be born. There was a creation. God had created life. We had been conceived but we were not yet fashioned. We had to be curiously wrought. We had to be made. I believe that's the same thing here in Genesis 1-2. The earth was kind of in this embryonic state where it still needed to be fashioned, yet being unperfect. And we'll see how God worked and fashioned that as we would go through this chapter. But notice in verse 2, whether you agree with me on the gap theory, whatever, to me it's not an issue of contention or division or we got to break fellowship now. Somebody probably will, but anyway. um, Notice in verse 2, I want you to see this by way of application as I I bring this to a close. Notice in verse 2 that the Spirit of God moved. What we find is that before there is light and life, there must be the Spirit of God at work. God is showing the reader here right away... The necessity of the Spirit's working in our life to fashion and to form us. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. John 6.63, It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, whoop, whoop. Yes. who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. Understand, in our lost condition, in our lost state, uh, we, we are still created by God. He brought us physical life. Amen. But without Christ, we are spiritually dead. That's right. We are not yet formed. We are void. We're empty. There's darkness. There's a veil. But once we give ourselves to the Creator for salvation, in Christ alone, through His blood, then the Spirit of God moves upon the face of our waters, as it were. And God says, let there be light. And in the light, the darkness flees because darkness and light cannot cohabitate the same place. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, begins a work in us that brings us from this unformed, empty state, this void state to where He takes up residence inside of us. (laughs) And He quickens us. He gives us life. And what does God begin to do? He begins to conform us into the image of His Son. By His power. These first two verses here in creation are a great picture of how God works in us. I want to ask you this morning, has God begun a good work in you? Do you know Christ as your Savior? You definitely have been created because you're here. I mean, you might be in that fringe group that's like, I don't know, you know, if I'm here really... Chances are you know you've been created and that you really exist. Amen. But have you experienced the new birth where the Spirit of God moves over you? Do you know the joy of no longer being empty and void? The joy of no longer having form and just lying waste? God wants to do a work in you and through you, but you have to give yourself to Him. If you don't know the Creator God today, then won't you come to Him? Won't you ask Him to save you and to fill you with His light in life and to conform you? Here's the good news this morning, folks. You don't have to stay in a darkened state. He can take the darkness away. You don't have to keep wishing things one day will get better. But you can go to Christ today and He'll save you. And He'll begin to work in your life. The problem may still be there, but you'll have peace. Would you allow the Spirit of God to move upon your life today? Let's pray.